Grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to be turning to 1 Samuel 17 here in a bit. Thank you, worship team, choir. That's the way to do it. Even on a fall break, that's the way to bring it, you guys, because that's our God. Um, Wow. I just want to sit in that. Sweet. Sweet. Well, we are going to a passage today where the great I am makes all the difference in the world. And uh, that's why we're excited about it. I'm just tired of this boring, uh, God is small kind of stuff. Uh, Because, excuse me, our God is huge. And uh, every reason to be excited. Every reason to be excited about it and allowed about it. And uh, so we're going to be going here today. Uh, Today is when he is bigger than my fears. I actually want to begin with a reminder of last Sunday. Because last Sunday, just in some of the terms of it have some implications for today. We had kind of four lines that were a part of it. The the first line is, I presently reside in a tent, but I know that I have a home. If you're in Christ, and you know Christ is your Savior, if there's been a time in your life where you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, as a turnaround point, as a drive the stake in the ground point to stop being all about me, to be about him, uh, you know this, uh, you have a home. And it is a marvelous home. We saw this in 2 Corinthians 5, where all these lines are coming out of this text. But we reside in a tent, but we know that we have a home. And uh, uh, I love tent, I love camping, I love all that, but it is wonderful to go home. And uh, home's on the radar if you are in Christ. Second uh, line was, so in this tent, I groan, I long, I am burdened. And the text of 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about, I am, I, I am burdened for my home. I reside in this tent, but I am burdened for my home. The third line was, I have been prepared by God and guaranteed by the Spirit. There's a confidence in this. It's not just a wish. It's not just some flimsy hope. It's a confident home. It's a hope. It's a Hebrews 11 kind of faith, confidence in who we know and what is going on. And we've been prepared by God, guaranteed by the Spirit. And so the last line from last Sunday was, so I am of good courage. And I walk by faith, aiming to please him. I am of good courage. And I walk by faith, not by sight, aiming to please him. I love that. General William Moore, uh, Westmoreland, who commanded the U.S. Army forces in the Vietnam War from 64 to 1968, is known for this uh, short sentence, War is fear cloaked in courage. War is fear, cloaked in courage. I fully admit I've never been in a military war zone. I've never experienced what that is, what that's like. Um, I think most of us have not been in that. Some of you may have been in that. But I think we can understand a war zone reality of things. And I think we can understand war zones are fearful. Could we like get that? I mean, we've at least seen movies. And uh, war zones are a fearful place, a fear-filled place to be, uh, and yet they require great courage, as General Westmoreland talks about. It's interesting how, in light of the last year, we talked about whole this whole concept coming out of Revelation, that during this time of redemptive history, we live in a spiritual war zone. We don't live in Disneyland. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's not Disneyland everywhere. It's not Disney World everywhere, and Mickey's not running around everywhere handing out happy hugs. And um, we uh, live in a spiritual war zone, and, 
And the fact of that is, is we live in a spiritual war zone, so the reality of that is we live in a world of fear. Because if war zones are fearful places, we live in a war zone that contains the reality of fear. And fear is all around us. And by the way, all of us know fear, right? We all know fear. We all know about it, frankly, every day of our lives. We deal with it in some shape, manner, or form. And we can observe it in a variety of ways. Um, on the center screen, you can see here a study that was done by Chapman University on the top 10 fears of Americans in the year 2015. And you can see there's government fears, and boy, that's really going on. Technology fears, man-made disaster fears, crime, personal failure fears, all kinds of fears that are there. And, and then I want to bring up on the side screens here, uh, this is a list of 100 phobias, and I typed them all. And I will tell you... Uh, the program didn't like it. They were all red underlined, um, maybe because of my typos, but they're not in the normal things. But there are all kinds of them. Here, here's some of them. Let me list some of them. Some are kind of funny. Some of them are kind of uh, under, very understandable. Electro- electorophobia is the incredible fear of chickens. <laughs> and uh, being that we're in the Midwest, I'm sure that's a major problem for some in this room today. Or maybe not. Maybe they live on the other coast. <laughs> Then the second one, aquaphobia, the fear of water. I think some of you can get that with swimming and the fear of that. Another is hemophobia, the fear of blood. Uh, some probably understand that. Then there's globophobia. Here's a big one, the fear of balloons. The fear of balloons. Yeah, that's a big one. And then right along with that is aranidophobia, uh, uh, the fear of frogs. Because you don't kiss that and don't get a prince, then you've got to wash your mouth or something. Here's a, here's a big one, bananaphobia. What do you think that one's talking about? The fear of bananas. True. I'm not, it's up there. You find it, it's up there. Now here's one, I got to take this one slow. Hippopotomonstros esquipped aliophobia. The fear of long words. I got to tell you right before I read that, fear went through me just reading that word. (laughs) Here's another uh, hierophobia, fear of sacred things or ministers. (laughs) Karen has that. And then uh, two more, thanatophobia fits with the last Sunday, the fear of death. The fear of death. And uh, here's one, uh, phobophobia, the fear of fear, the fear of fear. On one hand, we sit back and we kind of laugh at some of these. On another hand with these, I'm not laughing at. At the same time, it's because some of these, and we know fears of all kinds, and fears can be life-crippling, can they not be? They can be utterly life-crippling. And in this series, we've been asking the question, what does it look like for God's people to live like he is bigger than? And today, when he is bigger than my fears, when he's bigger than my fears. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 17. If you aren't there already, please turn there. And I would just want to ask you at this point in time to be thinking about, uh, seriously, what are some fears you struggle with? What are some situations, some, some things that you think in your mind, as you, maybe even this last week that come up, that in your mind you're like, man, I really struggle with that one. Uh, uh, what, what are some fears? Because fear is real. Every one of us experience it. Every one of us battle it. It's not a if you fear, it's a what do you fear and when we fear 
reality of things. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to walk with some individuals as we're doing in this series. We're putting some face to these, some skin and, and real people to these scenarios of when he is bigger than. And here we're going to take a look at some people who looked fear in the face. And uh, we're going to see how some of God's people were utterly crippled in their fear. We're going to see how some really, one, uh, uh, live by faith in his fear And the goal of this is to walk away and to have some practical realities on how we can deal with fear when it shows in our life with that. Before we get started, let me pray, God, I ask that you would help us. We are frail people. Fact of the matter is, is we are fearful people. It's interesting, you call us sheep. And sheep are some of the most scared beings on the planet. Something comes up, they all huddle together, run to the corner, run away. We really have no defenses. That is us. But yet we just began our time here before uh, this uh, singing about the great I am, about the one who demons run from. And that's who you are. And yet, Lord, we at times, you know it, we at times, as we're going to see in this text, we struggle to connect you, to bring you into that scenario, and to see who you are there. And I pray, God, as we dive into this real situation that took place, you would help us to grab a hold of who you are and how to bring you into it, because we will experience fear, and yet you are the God who is bigger than Pray for the individual right now who's in a place of life where they really are living in a place of fear. God, I pray that this time would be of great encouragement to them. They would not feel alone in the struggle, but they would would leave with the hope of who you are and what's taking place. Comfort them. Help us all. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, 1 Samuel 17, the context of this is uh, we had done a series through the book of Judges right before. Where we are at right now is about 50 years from the time of the ending of the book of Judges. It's not been that long a period of time. It's been about 50 years. Saul is king. Saul has been king now for about half that period of time. For about 25 years, he's been king of that. Samuel actually has already anointed David. You can see that in chapter 16 right before this. David is to be king. David is not the king. David is a teenager. Teenager, latter teenagers, boy, teenagers have been like the thing over these last few weeks with Joseph and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, and, and now here we are with David. Teens, you rock. You have the opportunity for that as young adults to stand and to, to show a great God before you. And, and uh, this is the place we're at, and uh, we come into this, chapter 17. Look at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. So the setting is a war here of what's going on. There's a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. I'm not going to bring a map up. I'm not going to go to that today. It's not necessary for us today. Jump down to verse 2, and we keep going. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, the Israel and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Got the picture in your mind? There's an actual place for this. We've been there. Karen and I have been there and seen this, and it's just like that. There's, there's a hill on the one side, there's a hill on another side, and there's a valley that's farmed down uh, nowadays there. Verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath 
whose height was six cubits and a span. Now here the Philistine army, they stand on one mountain, the Israelite army on the other side. They send out their champion of Gath. I mean, this is so like a WWF-like fight scene, isn't it? I mean, uh, let's get ready. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Come on. Okay. Gas steps down. <laughs> if you're like, if you're new here, welcome. <laughs> welcome. So they come down into this battle. Now you can see in the text here, there's some of this uh, conversation about height here. It's actually interesting because you can even see in no probably some of your Bibles, there's a textual variant in this. That What that means is like the Masoretic text from the original Hebrew uh, has, has one terminology that's used here. The, uh, the, the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, has another uh, numeric here. And then you have the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found. They have another number. So there's a textual variant here. And actually what his size is... And, and so in this, there's actually conversation of he's anywhere from six foot nine, uh, six foot nine inches tall to nine foot nine inches tall on the various ones. Now, keep in mind that in that day from archaeology digs that the average Israelite male was five foot four inches. Uh, that was really on the high side of the average uh, in there. And so that's kind of uh, they were smaller there. Uh, the core of Goliath's height debate, I'm just going to go here for a minute, is less about his actual height and more about how one approaches Scripture. It's more about how one approaches Scripture. It's do I allow God the ability to create a nine-foot, nine-inch guy? You know, it's kind of like almost instantly people are like, well, let's see, I'm not going with the Masoretic text because that says nine foot nine. I'm going to go with one of the other ones because it can apply a little bit shorter with that. And nine foot nine, I mean, come on, who, who, who's that tall? That can't be the case because that doesn't make sense to me. It's not reasonable. It's not possible. Uh, and I understand the conversation, but it's interesting to where when you read about this, and as I've read about this, when you read about those who embrace a six foot nine size, they are ones who are, their, their point is, is we can't make sense of this. And so when you have the nine foot nine size, they're swinging the other side, but yet there's a real debate in this. If I could have my uh, helpers in here, Mark and Drew, if you could come on up here. Uh, let me just say this. Goliath was ginormous, okay? And uh, uh, he could have been six nine, he could have been seven nine, he could have been eight nine, he could have been nine nine, Frank, he could have been ten nine. Um, let me just read a couple more verses and then I'll have my helpers help me here. Fear steps forward. Fear steps forward. Verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was whatever height. Verse 5. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. By the way, that number is never debated uh, in all the texts. Verse 6. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's not debated either. And a shield bearer went before him. Okay, I've got helpers here. So here is... uh, here is Mark Larson, and uh, Mark, how tall are you? Six seven. Six seven. So you're taller than me. <laughs> we know that. Drew is here, and let me ask this question, Drew: How much do you weigh? About 100. Okay, so actually, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want to uh, on this height thing and how we approach scripture sometimes. So here's Goliath. All right. So here's Goliath. I want to turn this way, and uh, now Goliath had a coat of arms that was in the text, it actually ends up being right just slightly under 125 pounds, 
okay? So, Drew, I want you to jump on your dad's back, okay? There you go, dude. He's on. Okay, now, now with that. So that's the coat of arms. And then he had a spear where the spearhead was a hair under. It was like 14 and a half pounds. This is 15 pounds. And now it doesn't include the spear. So we're going to go about 20 pounds, but I'm going to go light because Mark's kind of a wimp. So, <clears throat> okay, so this is, this is the scenario that we're given. No debate on the height. In fact, another 25 pounds, 20, 25 pounds on his back. And then this is the spearhead plus probably another five pounds for the shaft of that. Now, kind of a, if you think about fighting a war with this, and as you think about now throwing the spear. I won't throw it, but. Okay. Okay, now let me ask. Now, when you use a spear, are you not throwing it with precision to, like, hit someone as opposed to, like, you kind of went like a girly shot put? Okay? That's true. <laughs> okay, now, I'm going to guess, and it just even by watching you, that throwing that, you might be able to heave it, but you're not going to, like, pick someone out. Right. Correct? Right. Okay. Yep. Give you a break. Thank and you. give him a hand. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Drew. Hey, let me uh, bring in this point. It's interesting sometimes how we approach Scripture, and things have to make sense to us in our mind. And let me say this. I don't think there's any way that Goliath was 6'9", just because of the other pieces of information that are there. Listen, God's thoughts are higher. His means are greater. His goals are are superior. And if he wants to make a group of people that are producing like nine foot, nine inch people, I believe he can do that, right? Okay, because I'm telling you, a six nine guy could not be throwing a full spear like that, full armored, the way the text tells us. It just couldn't happen. The boy's a big boy. And he's coming out against a young man boy. Let the games begin. Fear stands big. Fear steps forward and it stands big. A coat of 121 pounds, a spear of 14 and a half pounds. This dude is a beast. And fear stands big. Is it not true? Fear can be crushing. Fear can be debilitating when it steps out into your life and it looks utterly insurmountable. Verses 8 through 10, because here now fear shouts big. Fear shouts big. So he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Understand that Israel is kind of on the one side and in this. And Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel that day. Give me a man that we may fight. Fight together. Boy, fear mocks, doesn't it? It just shouts in our face. It shouts, you are small, you are weak. I am bigger than you. And it is true. And it is utterly true. The fact of the matter is, is Goliath is bigger than any guy on the whole Israelite war team. 
And fear is bigger than you and I. When we hit it, and we hit it big. Goliath was big, and this fear is big. Number three, fear shakes me up. Look at verse 11. Here's we find out how the Israelites are responding. When Saul, who's king, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Dismayed and afraid, terrified, shaken up. And we know what that's like. How in the world are we going to do this? What do I do? This is insurmountable. I can't handle this. This is way too big, verse 12. Now, David. I'd encourage you to underline and circle that because really in the movement of the whole thing of it, we're laying out this movement of people. And now we're coming to this David guy that in chapter 16 was by Samuel said was going to be king, but he's probably in his mid-latter teens, probably 15 to 19 years old at this time. And now David, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years, and the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons who went are listed there. Verse 14, David was the youngest. David was the youngest. So we've been dealing with teens, and we've been dealing with youngest siblings again and again. So for all of us youngest siblings, unite! <laughs> uh, and all the older siblings are now greatly disdained. Um, I do remember when I got to ride my bike to school earlier than my older brothers. Just saying. <laughs> they didn't like that either. David was the youngest. The, th- <laughs> the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Point here, fear sticks around big. Fear just has a way of sticking around big. For 40 days, this Goliath fear is coming forward, morning and evening. It stands in their face. It shouts at them. It shakes them up. It sticks around day after day after day. Can you imagine? Day after day. You are small. You are weak. You are nothing. Evening. You are small. You are weak. You are nothing. You can't do squat. Come on. Take me on. Next day, you are small, you are weak, fear me. Evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, day after day after day. What an annoying thing. At what point do you get hopeless? By the way, that's next Sunday. Fear just has this way of sticking around. Fear of failure, rejection, fear of being over your head, fear of being embarrassed, fear of death, fear of sleep, fear of being found out, fear of your looks, fear of sickness, fear of cancer, fear of elevators. Talk about that later. Fear of public speaking, fear of not getting good grades. Fear of not being able to pay your bills. Fear of being wrong. Fear of being alone. Fear of having your dad say, I'll give you a dollar if you can go across the basement in the dark at night. When you come back, 
if you're still alive, I'll give you the dollar. <laughs> that, that was done to me, not to my kids. <laughs> Here's one, fear of the next president. Here's another one in the news, fear of clowns. Here's another one, fear of pastoring a church. What's your fear? So how are God's people supposed to to respond to this kind of standing up, shouting big, shaking us up, sticking around fear? Here's how. You go to war with it. Why? Because we live in a war zone. You go to war with it. Like how? Glad you asked. Fear is fought. Let's take a look. Two different ways that people are fighting this fear. First, we begin with people group number one, King Saul and the men of Israel. Let's see how they're handling this. Verse 17, Jesse said to David, his son, uh, some background here as we're moving in, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and then 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring home uh, uh, some token from them. Wait, 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 wait. Who cares about what kind of lunch thing's going on here? Actually, it's a big deal. It's important to understand. So where they are fighting in this and how wars were done, they did not have like mess tents and, and food caravans to be able to go out and provide food. And so literally when they were fighting within Israel, actual families would be bringing food to their loved ones out who were fighting in the war and they would bring them food on a regular basis. They didn't all have, like all come together at the mess tent to eat. And so what's taking place here is Jesse is doing that one more time. He's got three of his sons who are out in the battlefield and he's having David, the younger one, take them their meal uh, for the coming days ahead. And that's what's being said here. Verse 19, now Saul, we're back kind of out away from uh, David's home. Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. In fact, I have here the next word, it says fighting. (laughs) I literally have quotations around it. Watch how these boys are fighting, because they're, they're beasts. Watch this fighting. Fighting with the Philistine, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. Way to go, dude. We'll find out more about that in just a second. And he took the provisions and went, and Jesse had, as Jesse had commanded him, his dad. And he came to the encampment as the host was going uh, out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel, the Philistines, drew up for battle, army against army. Uh, just going to quickly, what would happen is, is kind of at times of the day, they would all kind of come down from the camp, kind of down there, and then Goliath would march out, and so he would yell. It's not like everybody's up in their hammock in their tent. It would be kind of on the battlefield, but the one guy would come out and say, come, come on, bring your man, bring your man, and they would send nobody, and then they'd all turn around. I mean, how defeating every morning and every evening with what's taking place, and that's what's happening here in this verse 22. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. In other words, they had someone when the families would bring food and so forth who would take care of this and disperse it out to the right people and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers and he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before and David heard him. Here's the big thing. David, this younger brother, is like all excited. I remember those days. I was all excited to see my brothers and what they were doing and being a part of it. If I even if I could bring him lunch. I thought that was the coolest thing in that day and when I was younger. And, and so you're coming up and you're seeing the battle and he's, this is the first time he's seeing the whole scene. 
Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and makes his father's house free in Israel. We're getting some information here, but it's interesting to observe what's happening here. What's happening here? What's happening here is they are not fighting. Okay? That's why they are fighting. They're really not fighting at all. There's no fighting that's taking place here. What's really going on is they are fleeing fear and they are talking about the fear. There's no fight. They're fleeing it and they're talking about it. Talk, 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 talk. Let's talk all about the fear. Let's, let, let's interact all about the fear. But there's really no warring going on here. It's just talk. It's fleeing and talking. That's all that's happening with this people group, with what's going on. Now, uh, we see another people group. We see this, and I'm going to say this with emphasis, teenager David. Watch this little guy. Verse 26. David, after seeing this, and David said to the men who stood by him, hey, uh, what shall be done with a man who kills a Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? By the way, do you see that already? Dude, you're just a teenager. And then his next question. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. In other words, not me. Go for it, dude. Two questions are put on the table here by David. One is a victory question. Verse 26, what shall be done for the one who kills this Philistine and takes away his approach? Isn't that cool? David's thinking victory. David's not thinking defeat in this. David is not denying it. David is not like in positive thinking mode. David is not like, you know what? I'm an awesome and an amazing human being, and if I think it, I can do it. Hey, if I think I can fly, I can fly. Yeah, not. It's not that. Instead, what's going on here is David is thinking victory in this. He's thinking, he's like, look at this. Like, why are you stuck in fear on this? Excuse me, why are you? And it's like, David, dude, don't you understand why? No, I understand why, but I'm still asking the question. Victory question. The second question is, a, what's up with this fear question? What's up with this fear? Verse 26, who is this Philistine and what is he doing defying the armies of the living God? This is so cool, you guys, because this gives us insight into David's head and what he's thinking. He is questioning the, vi- the validity of their fear experience. He is not denying it, but he is questioning their response to it. He is asking the question, wait, pause, stop, hold it for a second. Right at the moment, I am in a place of fear. Wait a second, hold it, hold it, hold it. What's going on here? And David is not denying the fear experience, but he's questioning the validity of it. Wait a second, why is this happening? And what is he doing? He is bringing the Lord into it. He is bringing the Lord into their fear-filled situation. He's like, okay, you got a big dude over here, and, 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 I can, and I'm a little guy, and I think I can get that. And, and, but, 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 but this guy is defying God. This guy is defying Yahweh. Excuse me, in his head. Well, what's with this? He's sizing up the fear with God. Do you see that? 
He is acknowledging the fear, and then he's placing his God next to it. And it's like, hmm, hmm. We have fearful situations. And I am in no way denying fear. And I am no way intending to in any way laugh at fears that people go through. Even sometimes ones that some might think are silly. But if you are in Christ, you need to know this. Song we just sang before we started? Uh-huh. 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 That's our God. That's the warrior, not you. He is the one that is the warrior of it all. Verse 28. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? Then the second question. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? Let's go down to verse 28 there. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, heard David. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Man, that's got to tick older bro off. Younger brother, you are a fly in a gnat. And he said, why have you come down? Um, I'm just bringing you, like, your food and kind of want to see you guys and maybe give you even a hug and see what's going on. I think he's actually proud of his brothers and why he wanted to go down. And, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? Oh, now it's important that up at the top of the page, we're told that he left the sheep with the keeper because David's that kind of shepherd. Oh, so you haven't even, no, he's taking care of it, older bro. He's gotten it all taken care of. And then he says, I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Yeah, actually, I kind of did, but uh, (laughs) David right now, good that he didn't say. Joseph probably would have said it. It's like, what battle? (laughs) Not the right thing. And David, verse 29, said, what have I done now? (laughs) Younger siblings? Relate to that? Was it not but a, a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. By the way, when you go to war with fear, expect opposition. And sometimes it's even opposition from your own brothers or sisters. When you face fear biblically, expect opposition. Expect opposition. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, before the king. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. He's before the king of Israel as a teenager. If I was, I was way too timid as a teenager to do that, I would just be like, okay, whatever. I'm running home. Dad, mom. He's before the king. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Uh, One more time, opposition. You can't win this. Listen, you bring the Lord into your fear situation, that's ridiculous. You know, what you really need to do is you need to go and just stick your head in a pillow and scream and yell. That'll take care of it. What? When we deal with things biblically, expect opposition. 
you're not able to do this, verse 34, but David said to Saul, I think he did this incredibly respectfully, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him. Are you kidding me? Do you understand what we just read there? Hey, king, I just take care of these stupid sheep. And there's been some times where a lion and a bear has come after my sheep. And I'm just letting you know, no lion's taking my sheep. I I would have instructed my son, never go after the lion. Let the lion go. We'll sacrifice a few sheep. Okay, you're more important, not him. These are his. And he goes after a lion and he goes after a bear. What a stud. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Booyah! Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I don't know what his inflection was. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like it's either like dude you are either awesome and go or it's like dude you are like ridiculously dumb hey a couple points here one we fight fear with biblical truth we fight fear with biblical truth David's been stating truth here of who his God is. He's been thinking who God is, and he's been doing, I'll call it, the biblical math. All that he knows about God, he's bringing into this guy. Hey, he steps out, and David's like, let's step out my God in this. Let's take this one on. And he's thinking biblically through this. Do you do that? Do you know scripture to bring it in? Do, do, you, 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 listen, we go to war with fear with biblical truth. By the way, we also go to war with life truth. The reality here that David brings in is from his own past. He has seen God at work. And when we see God at work, we need to bring that in the past. By the way, are you aware and watching for God at work? To be able to stack your shelves with scenarios of how God has been at work? Because I'm telling you, when the God at work shelf is empty, it is nearly impossible to fight fear. Because God has not shown himself in your mind. Listen, let me put it this way. If your God at work shelf is empty, then what you do is you bring biblical truth stories to your God at work shelf. And that's what I've been trying to do with this series. It's like, hey, let's just not talk about the concepts of it. Let's take a look at Joseph. That's a God of work story on your shelf and my shelf. Let's take a look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Hey, that's not just a God of work story here, but that's a God of work story in my uh, my shelf against fear. And here, David, David's story. Listen, if a teenager can do that, I'm almost 55. If a teenager can do that, (laughs) doggone it. I'm bringing the teenager story out. Because someday when I grow up, I want to be like that. And I want to address fear with that kind of faith. Biblical truth and life truth. Pause on this. Faith is an action, not simply a concept. 
Faith is an action, not simply a concept. Faith is implemented, not just pondered. We consider and ponder faith, but faith is not really faith until faith is put into action. And to just talk about it, honestly, probably like the Israelites were doing. They're just talking about the whole fear situation. We don't see anywhere where the Israelites blame anything of Yahweh, anything of who God is, anything of what God has done in all of Israel's past, not a lick of it. David is the only one who brings in who God is and what God has done into their scenario. And that is what faith is. And Saul and the men of Israel were not living in faith. There were no acts of faith. There was no implementation of faith. There's no connection of faith. But David is connecting who God is and what he knows about his God and is bringing it into this situation just like Joseph did, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And I want to make sure you understand this is not a positive thinking time. This is a not just go think it and it will happen. This is in a war zone, you guys. And you don't fight wars with hugs. Bring out the ammo. Bring the sword out. And go to war. Jesus said in Luke 16.10, Whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Whoever is dishonest in little will be dishonest in much. And I'll just say, if we're not applying and living faith out in the little things, faith in the bigger things won't happen. And that goes back to when we talked about Noah and, and when he's bigger than our daily grind and understanding everything of life is important. By the way, Asaph said of David in Psalm 78, 70, oh, love this. Big life verse for me. Psalm 78, 70. The Lord chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. Why did David end up becoming a skillful hands, integrity leader with a whole group of people? Why? Answer, because he was that way with a group of sheep when no one was watching. In the pens tending the sheep, he was faithful. He lived it there, just like Noah, cutting a tree, hauling a tree, placing a tree for a hundred years. David is not applying his own thoughts or his own means or his own goals to his fear. David is applying the Lord's thoughts and the Lord's means and the Lord's goals. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. That's not postage mail. It's like armor. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off and then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. I love that. He approached the Philistine. Hey, by the way, God's means are greater. God's means are greater. And we humans, we love to think that we have the answers. We like to think our ways are the right ways. And our means are the means that we have. And our goals are the goals for God. 
And so we go and we fight fearful things like that that have to make sense to us. But listen, bring in the war gear, the spiritual war gear of who God is. Isaiah 55, again, his thoughts are higher, his means are greater, his goals are superior. We're to bring that in. And I think we'd all agree that sending out this small teenage shepherd boy uh, with a sling against the Goliath is not a good idea. If we were doing odds right now, odds on Goliath. What makes sense is David armored up, flying an Apache helicopter. Now that makes sense. Not for David. And by the way, we tend to be that way. Oh, just armor up, man up. Face your fear. You have what it takes. Be all you can be. Fact of the matter is we are small. And we are weak. And we are frail. And we are scaredy cat sheep. All of us. But if you know Christ, you have a big God. So let's kind of bring this in. Watch this. Here we go. To the battlefield we go. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, verse 41. And <laughs> I thought it's funny. <laughs> and the Philistine <laughs> moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine uh, looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome. Good looking, ruddy youth. In appearance, and the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. In other words, he said other things. <laughs> Verse 44 the Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. What's David going to do? Here's a man. Then David said to this big, ugly beast, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Amen. the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead body of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves now with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. What's the rest of the story? Doesn't matter. Seriously. 
it doesn't matter. Because just as we've been talking through these other things, it's not about the end result that is, confirms the reality of it. We're in the process of what's going on. And here we see this guy, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that, Daniel chapter 3? When they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. In other words, for Daniel, our God is able to deliver us from this giant. And then they went on to say, but if not. In other words, God has the choice to take us or save us. And he's big and he can save us. And I'm thinking that direction, but if he takes me, you know what? Okay. Because I live in a tent, and I have a home, and you can destruct my tent, but dude, you cannot destruct my home, and in fact, I'd just rather go home. When fear stands big, and shouts big, and shakes up big, and sticks around big, you have a choice. You have a choice. Do you live by fear? Or do you live by faith? Let me just sum it up in these two lines. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my my, uh, fears. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my fears. This is the men of Israel. When biblical truth is left on a theoretical shelf, and life truth of what God has done and how he has shown himself is in, my, is in my past is left on a shelf, you end up handling fear just like Saul and the Israelite army because it's too big and I, in comparison to me. And it is, it is, it is. You guys, it is. But faith clicks in when I connect God to my fears. Faith clicks in when I connect God into my fears. That's David. It's this. It's I remember whose I am. I remember who he is. And I connect those to my now. I remember that and I stand. I act in faith. Not in faith in who I am, but faith in who he is. He's the warrior. I'm not. He's the strong one. I'm not. He's God. I'm not. I remember. I stand and I magnify Living by faith when facing fear is an opportunity to magnify the Lord. And so often we, we I get it, we, we approach fear and it's like, oh crud, I hate this situation. I hate this situation. I hate this situation. And yet we should be thinking this is an opportunity to bring glory to the Lord right now. And this is an opportunity for me to connect the Lord into it. So in closing, a, a couple scenarios. You're in an elevator in Israel, in a hotel with your wife, whose name is Karen. And stuff goes on with getting in, and the elevator gets jam-packed, body to body, skin to skin. And it drops four floors, released to the bottom. Not kidding. And everyone is in panic. Especially me. (laughs) And we hit the bottom. Not kidding. One guy's first says, oh, my knee. This other lady, like a couple seconds, she's like, I think I'm about to have a panic attack. (laughs) In my head, I'm literally like, 
I'm right with you, girl. Because I can get claustrophobic. And I'm telling you, we were all one body in this small elevator. I was ready to totally have a panic attack. What if you're in a new setting with new people, serving with new people and wondering, what are they going to think? What if a giant hurricane, storm, tornado hits and everything is destroyed? What do you do? What if a Goliath-sized financial problem hits you? What do you do? What if the president candidate doesn't become president? What are you going to do? Wait a second. He is bigger. My God is sovereign. First Corinthians 10, 13. No trial has overtaken me. There's not coming to man. God is faithful. He's not let me be trialed beyond what I am able. First Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, eat, drink, lose all your money, lose your house, crash to the bottom of an elevator, in it glorify him. Wait a second. Habakkuk 3, last verses of Habakkuk. He's talking, he's saying, what if my crops fail and, 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 and my, my stock are taken away? And what if the stock market crashes and everything goes haywire? What if all that happens in the text? He says, yet I will stand and I will praise my Lord. Why? Because he is sovereign. Because he's in control. Because he knows who's who. First Peter chapter 1, God allows trials to come our way to build us, to refine us, to get rid of the, the, the excess stuff that goal of faith would show itself. God, this is an opportunity for me. And I enter it fearful, but I have you. Today, I'm just asking you, simply this. Karen's working right now on the women on four Monday nights with fear. Two are yet to go. But I just want to leave you with this. When fear hits, connect the Lord. Bring him into it. Think biblically. God, I have seen you back in my college days do this. And God, I'm just thinking in my own show. And God, I remember when you'd have done this, it was clear that it was you. It was clear that it was not me. It was clear that, God, I have seen you be faithful there, and I've seen you be faithful there, and I've seen you be faithful there, plus top on the word of God and everything that it says about you, and your thoughts are higher, your means are greater, your goals are superior. God, in this, I enter it with feeling the, fear, the, the, the feelings of fear, but I enter it in faith, knowing of who you are. And God, if you want me to go out of this successful, or if you want to take my life and have my head cut, cut off, fine. During this time of living in this tent, we need to help each other connect the Lord into our fears, right? So God, I pray, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be that? God, I just pray this principle of this idea of of uh, if we don't know scripture, we've got to find scripture and dig into it and learn it and apply it. Bring it in. Apply it now. And God, some of our fears are little. Some of it come down to just the kinds of things of, of a moment that happens at work or a moment that happens at home. And God, right there, there's, a, there's, there's an opportunity moment. There's a choice moment right there. 
am I going to handle this in my own strength? Or am I going to allow the sovereign God that has allowed even the smallest of things to take place in my life, am I going to allow Him to shine through me? This is real life, Lord. This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is where we need to be bringing you into it. So God, I pray for your help. God, right now I pray for individuals, and I don't know, for any individuals in this room right now that are stuck in a place of fear. God, in no way is this text intended to beat them up or to discourage them in failure. It's simply to intended to call us up and to think rightly of who you are because we live in a world of fear, fear of man, fear of situations. And the list goes on. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people that does not talk about fear, but a people that implements faith in the moments of fear. For your glory, for our growth, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.